Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is kind of one of those hidden books. And so I'll give you a few extra minutes for those of you with an old-fashioned paper Bible to find uh, the book of Malachi in uh, chapter 3, and we're going to go to verse number 3. And uh, for those of you who may start wondering along this journey tonight, I'm, I'm starting here and I'm ending here. And so we're just hang on. If you don't get it in the first pass, we'll be back. How's that? Malachi 3 and 3. The scripture says this, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. I want to go back to the very first line of this scripture. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So if you can just hold that caption in the brackets of your mind. My subject this evening is this. Character, the critical link. Character, the critical link. On the last Sunday of 2015, I spoke on the subject of integrity. And tonight, I want to just join hands with that thought and talk about character for a little while. Amen. May the Lord bless you, and you can be seated. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord and standing. I am not at all wanting to backtrack on anything that we talked about with our subject of integrity. Integrity is a good thing, but but the issue here, and I hope this becomes more clear as we journey along here, is that while integrity is a good thing, integrity is not the goal. Character is the goal. That's where we're headed. Because someone who has integrity may not necessarily have character. But on the other hand, a person of character will always have integrity. Amen. So it's important to understand the difference between the two because if we don't, we can get horribly mixed up. Integrity has a lot to do with what or how I do something or how you do something. Integrity literally means to have excellence in what you do, excellence in what you do. Many people all over the world have a measure of excellence in the things that they do. But they, even if they do good things, they, they have a measure of excellence in whatever they, they do. I've, I've met people through my lifetime that, that are just extremely good musicians. I don't mean just people that can get by, but extremely good musicians. And, and they, they're good at that. But that may have nothing to do with their character. 
character has to do with who I am, the real me, that inner me, the real person, a person of character who is, is not just a person that lives right in front of other people, but they also are doing the right thing when no one's looking, when no one's listening. It's that battleground of our mind where we just decide that we're going to do the right thing because we all have decisions to make. And so uh, no matter how spiritual we, we may assume ourselves to be or no matter how spiritual somebody else may assume that we are, we all have decisions to make along the way in life. As a matter of fact, you may have had some of those decisions to make today about what are you going to do or how are you going to handle this. And, and no one was there to judge that, but you just had to make a, a right decision. And you didn't do that because of pressure or someone else looking on, but you did it because it was the right thing. Integrity tends at times to focus on an outward appearance, what others may perceive us to be. It believes that what I do determines who I am. And so uh, integrity can be that flag that we wave. And, and if we're not careful, that can, marginal, can get right along the, the margin of just a life where faith is just based upon works or our life with God, our walk with God is just based upon what we do. On the other hand, character focuses on the inward condition of the heart. It believes that who I am determines what I do. This is just who we are. It's a natural thing. It's just a part of who we are. And that is faith that is based on grace. Obviously, there is a huge difference between those two because I don't want to just think that what I do determines who I am. I want to know that, I, that, that who I am determines what I do. It's just going to be in me, in you, in us to do the right thing. Not because somebody coerced us into it, we were pressured into it, somebody had us in a headlock, but it was just in our heart to do that. And so I'm not suggesting at all in my opening comments here that we stop pursuing integrity. I'm just merely pointing out that if we, that if we just pursue character, if we, if we realize that character is that critical link, if we pursue that, then integrity will be a natural byproduct of, what, of, of the way we live and, and what we do each and every day. Simply stated, if I'm a person of character, then I will naturally be a person of integrity. In 1 Samuel, uh, the Bible talks about in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22 where Saul had, um, had taken the good uh, of the lamb or the good of the animals and made a sacrifice. Uh, we know in that scripture that Samuel said to Saul, a statement that we have all quoted many, many times, to obey is better than sacrifice. And so obedience has to do with character, if I can draw an analogy here, and sacrifice has to do with integrity. Because without obedience, sacrifice is meaningless. If we don't have it in our heart, if we're not submitted to the will of God, then really what we do is not going to have a whole lot of weight at the end of the day because God was watching our heart. And so if we, if we did something real outlandish, if we, even if it was a very positive thing, if you gave $1 million to, to missions and, and if, if it was in your heart to only do that so people would praise you, God sees the content and the intent of our heart. And so he watches the motive and that motive is what pushes us. And so uh, D David Good used the following example as, about this as it relates to marriage. He said, without a real relationship, flowers are meaningless to my wife because she would prefer to have my heart and my affection rather than my gifts. 
And so I think that that's a very powerful statement that it's not just about things. It's not just about what we can wave to God, but it's about the motive of our heart. And so sometimes some of the most meaningful things when it comes to even, even relationships, some of the most meaningful things may be a note. <laughs> Amen. It really may be. And it's a lot less than a dozen flowers anyway. So uh, a note from the heart, a note from the heart. And uh, our character is exemplified in, in various ways. I'll mention three, how we treat ourselves, how we treat one another, and how we treat God. Amen. Our character is exemplified. It's a billboard sign of really who we are. And so let's quickly consider these three things. It's important, I believe, even according to Scripture, how we treat ourselves. Our body is the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 and 20, the Bible says, Know what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which which you have of God and not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, which belong to God, in other words. So we belong to the Lord, and so how we treat ourselves. And uh, I I know that sometimes we can uh, not, not think about that we would mistreat ourselves, but often we do. If we overwork our body and don't get enough rest, that's the temple of God. Amen? There's a lot of things we can do to abuse our body that can become sin. We've got a few little things. We've got tag sin in our mind, and that's kind of where we run. And I'm not taken away from that. But if we don't take care of ourselves, then we have to realize that this is the temple of God. We wouldn't abuse this house. We wouldn't go around knocking holes in the sheetrock and wouldn't go around breaking out the windows and abuse this house because it's a place we've dedicated to the Lord. But we house the presence of the Lord, and so we owe it to ourselves to take care of ourselves. It's, it's important how we treat one another, the people of the body of Christ. The Bible says in Luke 6 and 31, And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Do unto others, in other words, as you would have them do unto you. That seems so rudimentary that many people almost laugh when you quote that. But I'm going to tell you tonight, not that that you need this information particularly, but there is a wealth of truth to that. Life is not near as complex as we make it sometimes. And so what do we do about this situation? Just ask yourself, how would I want somebody else to handle this if it was me? And so how many things, and I'm not trying to boil all of life's ills down to one phrase, but there are so many things that we face day to day that we could just pause and ask ourselves, how would I want somebody else to handle this if the shoe were on the other foot? If the circumstances were turned around, I'm thankful for that wealth of truth. And then how we treat God. Deuteronomy 6 and 5 says this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. I wonder how God feels when he is obviously in such competition with everything else in our lives. Amen. When everything else seems to come before God, almost anything can knock God right off the stool of priority. Am I right? If we're not careful how we treat God, how would God feel about this? I want to give it my all. I don't want to come to church and sing half-hearted. I wouldn't want our musicians to come here and just play, just play at it. I mean, let's aim and let's hit the mark. This, this is for God. This should be our best. We should give our all. Amen. I want to come every time. 
I want to come every time to this pulpit as prepared as I possibly can. Why? Not because I want a compliment after church or I'm looking for this or that. This is God we're talking about. I owe it to God to give the very best presentation of his word that is possible, that is within my power. And so I want to give God, I want to love him with all my heart, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, with all diligence. I want to talk about the development of character because it is a process. Character development actually begins at birth, and I think that that it continues to develop until the day we take our last breath. I I don't think there's ever a time that we just say, okay, I got it. (laughs) I'm good now. I think that we're going to be developing that all along the way. And there are many influences upon our character. Every day from 8 to 80, there are many, many influences upon our character. One of those influences, one of the very first influences that any of us are exposed to is family. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 6 and 7, very familiar passage of scripture, but the Bible says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Here's the command to parents. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Amen. The foundation of family in Scripture is one of the most important things that you'll ever lay your hands on, family. It is, it is, no, it is no wonder that the enemy is doing all he can to destroy the family because it is here that the character of our, our, of our children are formed. It is on this, on this potter's wheel with this pliable, flexible clay called our children that, our, that, we, that the family begins to mold them. The family is the first structured relationship that a child enters into, the family. And so from their respective family, they will develop certain aspects of their character. Those aspects of character cannot be adequately developed anywhere else. And I realize that's a broad, broad statement, but I believe those, the aspects of character that are found in a family cannot be duplicated, replicated anywhere else because they're going to learn about many things. Children are watching. They're taking notes. They're taking mental notes. They're, they're filing things away that may not even come back into their life, may not come back to their mind, until they are in their teens or maybe even in their adulthood. But they're looking at things. They are, their children are looking at, at, at how uh, respect for a spouse is conducted in, in the, inside the home. And so children are going to get an understanding, depending on what side of the fence they are on, they're going to get an understanding of how to treat or how to be treated by their future spouse. And so in the structure of this family, nobody is standing up and saying, look at here, children. Now I want you to watch how daddy handles this situation. I want you to watch how mama handles this situation. But unspoken, they are watching how to treat and how to be treated just in the interaction of watching how someone deals with their spouse. <clears throat> Our children, are, their character is being developed through sibling relationships. Amen. There's a lot of things that are being taught to children through sibling relationships. And uh, there's a a big age difference between my brothers and I, but uh, I still learned a few things from them before before they left home. Mainly, don't mess with them. (laughs) Kind of settled that score, clear (laughs) 
clear and simple, don't mess with me and you'll be all right. And you probably live to see another day. But you, you have these sibling relationships that are developed inside the home. Another thing that a child, that develops a child's character in the home, in the family, is authority. They, they see proper authority in a home and that begins to develop their character. They realize that, that yes in some cases can mean yes and that no in some cases can mean no. They understand and begin to learn the value of, of submission because submission is on both sides of the fence. And so they learn that. And so the family, I'm sure the list could go on and on about that, but I don't want to keep you here all night long. Another thing that develops our character is society. The world that we live in has a daily influence on our character. Like it or no, it is true. The world that we live in is constantly grooming and pushing and pressing an agenda and the influence. And so the social standards and the practices of behavior not only mold our character, but they challenge our character. Amen. They mold our character in some cases and challenge our character in others. The Bible is filled with the illustrations of people's lives that were greatly affected by the, by the society, the then known society around them. Lot, when he separated himself from Abraham, made a decision to settle in a place of ease, a place of comfort, a place that ultimately he would not influence, but he would be influenced by that. And so his family in scripture is a stark reminder of how he was influenced, his wife was influenced, and even though she never literally left Sodom, think about the influence of, of Sodom upon their, their daughters. And so here was all this influence that was being placed upon their character by society. Israel, during Egyptian bondage, allowed themselves to be influenced by pagan practices of that society. They were exposed to that every day. And so we have to realize, I use this illustration often, that if it's 20 degrees below zero outside, then on the inside, it may not be 20 degrees below zero, but it's still going to be affected by what's going on on the outside. And so we have to understand that we can't afford to live oblivious that we are just 10 foot tall and bulletproof and nothing can ever get next to me because when you live in a sinful, nasty, dark, dismal world, that begins to have a negative effect on you. If you live around, if you work around somebody every day that uses foul language, I'm not saying that you're ever gonna fall in love with that, but that may, that may become such a point that it doesn't, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't affect you as much as it did because it's just kind of life. We can just kind of, oh, well, that's just how it goes. And so but maybe just a year before or two, three or four or five years ago would have just, just stirred up your righteous indignation. So we're influenced. These influences were a detriment to the godly character that the Lord desired the Israelites to have. During Paul's day, the church in Rome was struggling with developing Christian character while living in one of the most heathenistic societies known to man. And so they struggled in that. If we were to paraphrase John 17, 14, the Bible says you're in the world but not of the world. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves that I'm in this world but I'm not of this world. John 17, 14 through 19 shares that passage of scripture with us. We're just journeying through this. And so I don't want to drive my tent stakes down so far that I have any trouble getting them loose at the end of the day because I'm moving on. Amen. We're admonished in 1 John 2 and 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's straightforward. I've often said about 1 
first, second, third John. You don't need a lot of commentary here. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if I could say today, uh, this evening before you, if, if there's anything that I see that poses one of the great threats to the church of this day, it is the, the fact that people in the church are not fully out of love with the world. There is a worldly influence. There is a worldly carnal pull and a nature that somehow is enticing. Abner made it all the way into the gates of safety. He was out of harm's way. Am I right? He was out of harm's way. He had made it to a city of refuge, a city that had been built with intention a city that had been built with purpose. He made it all the way to the gates of refuge, to the city of refuge. And then he heard the voice of Joab on the outside saying, just come, just let me talk. I just want to share something with you. And something in his heart melted. He forgot that this man has been on his heels for days. He's been after him. Word has gotten to him. He's going to, you're out the minute that I meet you. But somehow, how many would say we know that sin is a detriment? How many would say I know carnality is a detriment? Fleshliness is a detriment to us. But if we're not careful, we'll still lean our ear to the wall to hear the voice of Abner. I'm not worried about what's going on in the world. Amen, I am concerned more than ever before. I am concerned with what's going on in the church here and now that the spirit of God, the anointing of God, the power of God would touch us. I wanna find out what's going on in that world. Amen. (laughs) And so the world, society has an influence. It's clearly obvious that we must live And we must function in this world. We can't just go move into a cave somewhere. We can't just dig a hole and hide our head in the sand. But as a child of God, our character is is to be influenced by the kingdom of God and to live in total opposition to the things of this world. I believe the old song had it right. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Amen. Another great, huge influencer, and I say this with, great, with huge deference to everyone here that works in the, the educational system of our world today, and I'm not, I'm not including you in this statement, but I think you would agree that we live in probably one of the most, one of the most educated societies of all time. The educational system of our day, however, does far more than just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. There is a clear-cut agenda, and we would have to be deaf and blind not to see this and not to hear it. And so the learning institutions of our day have become one of the greatest places of influence on our children's character. The average school year, the average school year, in the average school year, a student spends somewhere between 30 and 40 hours a week in a classroom setting. Now think about this with me. This is far more time than they will ever spend in a meaningful conversation or activity in our homes. Now that's just the blatant and honest truth. This is far more time and activity than they will spend at church or involved in a church activity. For some, statistically, this is more time than they will even spend working. That's the truth. And on a regular basis, students are bombarded 
with humanistic and with hedonistic teachings. On every side, they are exposed to that. These teachings and these values promote, that, that, that are promoted on a daily basis have a profound impact on a young person's way of thinking. Amen. They're groomed. They're schooled in what to think and how to think and how to respond. And so that's why we should never stop praying for our youth. We should never stop praying for them, not just one time at the beginning of the school year, but we ought to pray every day, God, touch our children. If you have school-age children, I challenge you to never let them walk out the door without having prayer over them. Amen. That prayer may not always be long, and it may not always sound like prayer. Because we've been in that world <laughs> of getting up and we just had one to get off and get to school and that was a challenge enough. And so I understand, but we wanted to make sure that every day was a semblance of prayer. I'm not, I'm not alluding that every day heaven came down and glory filled our home. But we had prayer. We asked God today, this is our commitment. We want a hedge built around our child. We want you to protect his, his heart, his mind. And so I challenge you to do that. Another area of influence are friendships. I just preached about the power of friendships just a, a service or so ago. And I, and I said this, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. But it all, also could be restated as this. If you show me the character of your friends, I'll show you your soon-to-be character. Because it, it molds us, it shapes us. And most certainly, friendships are a necessary part of life. I'm very thankful for friends. I've had communication today with several of my friends, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the words of encouragement that I got today. I'm thankful for the words of humor that I got today. I'm thankful for the prayer requests that I got today. I'm thankful for the prayer requests that I could share today. I'm thankful for friends. Peer groups are developed as we grow, and they, they begin to gravitate toward, we begin to gravitate toward the types of people that we have a common interest with. And so we, we have friends. You've, you've got some friends you've had for life. They're just, they're just there. They're just your friends. And there's probably not anything that could shake the foundation of that. However, we've got to be very, very careful that our friends are true friends. Now, I'm not trying to breed suspicion in the air tonight. But I'm telling you, we've got to make sure that our friends have our, our best interest in mind, our best spiritual interest in mind. Samson fell prey to the false friendship of Delilah. He thought over and over again, this is going to be all right. I can fix this. I can work this out. When indeed, and in fact, there were red flags everywhere. If Samson would have just, if he would have just shaken himself and realized this is not my friend. Ahithophel was a, was a false friend to David. He pretended to be a friend to David, but he wasn't a friend to David at all. Not at all. Judas, whom Jesus called friend, ultimately betrayed him. One man, one man said, when you're choosing your friends, he said, don't be short, shortchanged by choosing personality over character. Find somebody that has character and hook yourself to that individual. You join and link yourself to that individual. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for the church. Amen, and what it means to me and what the church has meant uh, to me all of my life and what the church has mean, means to my family. Along with marriage and the home, the church is a divine institution. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And then verse 28 gives uh, some specifics here. The Bible says, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, 
Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. And after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now, it should seem, it should seem obvious from this verse with all this diversity of ministry that God intended the church to have an influence on the development of character because we've got all kinds of operations of the, of the gifts of the Spirit and the working of, of the Spirit of God in our midst. And so from these offices, we are taught good character traits such as compassion, we're taught mercy, we're taught generosity, we're taught faithfulness, and the list could go on and on and on. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for what I've learned in church. It's been a good schoolmaster. The church at its worst, and I'm not just trying to sound cliche, but the church at its worst is better than the world on its best day. I'm thankful for the church. Not oblivious to the problems, not oblivious to the hiccups and the hangups, but I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for Sunday school teachers that touch my life. I'm thankful. I I can remember, I I can just get... Get, get alone and begin to think about this. And I can remember, uh, I'm, I'm going to date myself here, but I can remember the Sunday school teacher setting up a little easel and a flannel board and a flannel graph characters. Just zinged over the head of a few people there, but that's all right. But we got it. We got those Bible stories that just came to life. Long before there were nearly as many tools as we have at our disposal today. But I'm thankful for the investment that was made, the teaching of right and wrong. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth, Unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Amen. Leave that verse there, if you will. The scripture also says that he sets the solitary into families. He doesn't just leave us to ourselves, but he pulls us into the to a family. And so I'm thankful when I got the Holy Ghost that a part of the gift of the infilling of his spirit was the gift of the church. I'm thankful that God didn't just give me the Holy Ghost and then just park me on a uh, on a curb somewhere and leave me, but I'm thankful for the church and all the wonderful things that the church has brought into my life. In verse 22 here the scripture says, "In whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the spirit." It's significant, I think, to notice that the words groweth and builded are words that each denote action. In this case, the action is, is the, the coming apart of the habitation of God, that growing in Him, that becoming. Amen. Another way to state it would be this. We are developing in into the temple of the Lord and we are becoming a place for God to dwell. I'm thankful for that. Amen. That I'm in the process of becoming a place for the Spirit of God to dwell. Amen. The Christian character is being developed in my heart and my life. If we talk about all these things this evening, there's one thing that we just can't escape and that's life. Life with all of its experiences, Joys, its sorrows, its struggles, its victories. Life. Life is the ultimate character builder because life takes no hostages. Life doesn't care what your last name is. <laughs> life, doesn't, life, life itself can be very, very cruel. So whether we have a good family, regardless of our social past, if we had friends or if we had no friends, if we are educated or not educated, 
if we have uh, children, if we're born saint or sinner, one thing we all have in common is we all live life. And most of the time, it's life that teaches us more about ourselves than we could ever realize. Daily, we develop and test our character by countless things that come our way. We have the opportunity to help or the opportunity to ignore. We have the opportunity to be honest or we have the opportunity to steal. We have the opportunity to scream in frustration or the opportunity to be long-suffering. We have the opportunity to add fuel to a fire or extinguish the fire. That's life. Life gives us a lot of, of exit ramps that we could take but we've got to do what's right. I've got to do what's right. And so all these things and more have everything to do with our character. In his second letter to Timothy, the apostle Paul stated this, 2 Timothy 3.10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. I, before I read all of this, I want you to, to realize with me the author of this letter. This is Paul. This is not a man that's intoxicated on himself. This is one of the most humble men that we'll ever read about or study behind. But listen to what Paul says with confidence and not arrogance. But thou hast fully known, hast, hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, though, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing whom thou hast learned them. <laughs> Paul was not saying, look at me, but he was humbly saying, look at me. I've been high, and you have watched me there. And I have been low, and you have watched me there. I have been encouraged and I have been discouraged and he said in all this he said you know that you have been assured of you have watched and you have got a, a great life lesson because you were able to look into my life Paul was reminding them of the fact of his good character but his character where did it come from it wasn't learned from a book it was learned from the life lessons and the experiences that he encountered <clears throat> now his, his character was not only sustaining him the apostle Paul but look what his character was doing for those around. Paul was writing letters from prison. Just keep up the faith. Amen. Just keep going. Keep moving forward. I'm thankful for that. We have such a, a need for godly character in the day that we're living. If you, if you attempt to do the right thing here in the world that we live in today, people will almost think you're strange. They'll almost think you're up to something. <laughs> I, my wife reminded me of something not long ago, and, and I would talk about you if I knew your story, but I don't know yours. I know mine. But I remember that sometime, that sometime back we purchased something, and they loaded too many things on our truck. And when I tried to go back, I decided, well, it would just be easier to pay for them than it would be to take it all back. And so I went to, I went to pay for them, and we like to never got that transaction done. I almost couldn't prove to them that I was, I'm not up to nothing. I'm just trying to pray you for, well, where is it? It's already home. <laughs> That's the world we're living in. Isn't that the sad truth? It's the sad truth. Such a need for godly character. There's an abundance of scriptural teaching that, that should help us realize our need for this. 
we, because we all started on common ground. Psalms 51 and 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so all of us started on the common ground of our need for God. Without a transformation of our sinful nature and our character, then there is, we are without hope, without that hope to change, without that hope to turn around. Ezekiel 18 And 20 needs no commentary whatsoever because it's here the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. A contrasting passage of Scripture to Ezekiel 18 would be Matthew 5 and 6 and the Beatitudes where it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so to those that recognize their need of transformation, God makes righteousness available, and I'm thankful for that. The book of Titus 2 and 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Amen. There is a mandate upon the church to be called out. Amen. Not singled out, but to be called out. A chosen people. Amen. Grace that saves us is also a teacher that produces good character in our lives. Second Corinthians 6 and 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. There were prerequisites placed upon God, saying, I will receive you. Can you say amen to that? There were prerequisites. Amen. He said, you're going to have to separate yourself. Don't touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So separation from the world. Here's what happens when we separate ourselves from the world. You ready? It's right there at that decision that sanctification begins to work in our lives. Because it's not just enough to get the Holy Ghost. We need to let the Holy Ghost start having a work and doing a work in our life. I got to walk differently, talk differently. My language has got to change. My way of thinking has got to change. Words I used to use, that doesn't need to be a part of my vocabulary anymore. Thoughts I used to have doesn't need to be a part of my thought process anymore. I've got to let the power of sanctification start working in my life. It's important to note, though, that the process of sanctification cannot begin until we have made up our mind that this is where we're going. There has to be a clear separation in order for the Spirit of God to begin to work out something in our life. As long as we're on the fence, we're going to live on the fence. Amen. We've got to move on. There's some things that we've got to just nail down, if I can put it that way. There's some things that we got to, we just got to put that in place so I don't ever have to revisit that again. Praise God. Amen. If the foundation, when a foundation is dug, a footer is dug, you get it right the first time, you'll never have to revisit that again. It'll hold through storm. It'll hold through peril. It'll hold through whatever comes our way. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 and 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. What a powerful admonition. Let us go on unto perfection. I mean, we, you just, you gotta leave the altar of matrimony at some point and you gotta move on and get this relationship on its own two feet, to be able to stand, to be able to stand and withstand. Amen. The quest for good character will forever, the challenge that will be 
for all of us every day of our life is to be a better person today than I was yesterday. What a challenge that is, but it's a challenge we can rise to. To say, I want to be better today than I was yesterday. I want to handle myself better today than I did yesterday. Good character. Once it becomes a part of our lives, please hear me, settles many issues that we will never have to struggle with again. If I could just use this illustration without insulting anybody, if we could just learn to stop lying, then we won't have to keep up with what we said. If you just tell the truth. Amen. I felt a little more conviction in here than I was, I was, I was thinking I was going to. Uh, maybe the musicians ought to come play softly in the background or something that's going on that I don't know. But I'm just saying that if we could just say, I, I'm going to settle this, that I'm going to take care of that. And when I take care of that, that settles so many other issues and we don't have to keep going back and back and back and back again. I mean, if every time there's a little uh-oh in your, in your home, if you had to go back and figure out if you love each other, you're probably going to be in trouble. We got to get that, get that part settled, get that part nailed down and we will never have to struggle with that again. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 54, the Bible says uh, in 54th verse, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And so the ultimate reward for good character is that point in time when God gives us that incorruptible body, a house, an incorruptible character. Amen. This, this evening when I began, I said I'm going to start in Malachi 3 and 3, and I'm coming back to Malachi 3 and 3, and I'm there. Malachi 3 and 3. And the Bible says this, and he shall sit as a refiner, and purifier of the silver. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall sit a refiner and a purifier. I'm so thankful that God is willing to sit. And I'm so glad that he is willing to work with me. I'm so glad God has been patient with me through the years. I've made some terrible decisions. I've, I've turned right when I should have turned left. I've turned left when I knew I should have turned right. I've lived resistant to the will of God. Is that all right? And I'm so thankful that he's so patient. Amen. I, I, I'm certainly not omitting the law of the harvest. But I'm so thankful for the patience of God. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we can just end with no music. It'll be fine. There's a story told of a group of women that met, that met for Bible study. And while studying the book of Malachi, they came to chapter 3, and obviously they eventually came to verse 3. 
And they read, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And this verse puzzled these women. And they wondered, how does this statement apply to the character and the nature of God? And so one of the women offered to find out more about the process of refining silver. And she said, we'll just talk about this again when we meet again for our Bible study. So in just a few days, the woman called up a silversmith and made an appointment to watch him while he worked. She didn't mention anything to him about the reason for her interest beyond just sheer curiosity for the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith work, he held up a piece of silver over the fire and and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, you need to hold the silver right in the middle of the fire where the flame is the hottest. And as you do that, it will begin to burn away all the impurities. When the silversmith said this, the woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. And then she thought again about that verse. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it were true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the entire time the silver was being refined. The man answered yes, that not only did he have to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on that silver the entire time that it was in the fire because he said if the silver is left even for one minute too long, the flames will destroy what's there. The woman said in silence and then she asked the silversmith, she said, but how do you know when the silver is fully refined? To which he smiled and answered, oh, that's easy. It's fully refined when I can see my image reflected back. And so tonight, sometimes God holds us in heat that we think is unbearable. But here is the hope that I am trying to bring to this congregation tonight and myself as well. That the silversmith cannot afford to leave the fire. Not only that, the silversmith can't afford to even take his eye off the silver. And so we may find ourselves in the heat of the battle And maybe this is the most difficult thing you've ever faced in your life. But we have this consolation. He is near and he is watching. And when this is all said and done, it's going to be far more than just said and done. But there's going to be something in my character that is developed. I'm going to be in possession of something on the other side of this that I didn't have my hands on before this started. I'm talking about a critical link. We look at we look at saints that have proven their faithfulness and their love for God through the test of time. They didn't just get in this thing in a whirlwind and not a flash in the pan, but they've been in this thing for decades. And they've been loyal and faithful to God and and they've They've had a lot of sorrow along the way. It hasn't, it hasn't been all just coming up roses, but they've endured the thorns and they've had some very serious setbacks, but they just kept pressing on. And we wonder how in the world did they do that? 
Can I tell you that it, they didn't get that with just one song or one sermon. They didn't just get that with 12 months of faithful attendance, but they got that because they just stayed still in the hand of the refiner's fire and said, God, I trust you. I trust you. And so where do we get character from? You can read about it in a book. You can no doubt be challenged by, by many authors, but I'm going to tell you that character is developed when we just stay in God's hand and we allow positive things around us to mold us and shape us and we reject and rebel against those negative things that would shape us and mold us otherwise. Character, it's a critical link. Now you may be wondering, what in the world are we talking about? What, uh, this is not a feel-good class, this is church. This is not how do I be a better husband or how do I be a better neighbor. This is church. What we're talking about tonight is so vital because if we can get this, we'll have something to shout about. If we can get this, we'll have victory in our lives. This evening I am really intending, and this is an introduction to a series that I want to teach several Wednesday nights on the fruit of the Spirit. But we must begin right. We must start right. And so it won't matter about joy and love and peace. None of those things will matter if God doesn't have a proper vessel to house all of that in. And so my goal this year is not to learn how to sing better. My goal this year is not to learn how to clap right on key or right on time. But my goal this year is to be a man that God can put his confidence in. A man, if you please, that God can lean on to be for you tonight, to be a man or a woman that God can count on. I, I've shared this before, and I know you're standing, but I've shared this before. I was so challenged when I, when I heard a man praying one night, and I heard him praying when he said, Lord, tonight when I go to bed, if you need me through the night, I just want you to know I'm available. I was so challenged by that. If you need me tonight, Lord, I just want you to know I'm available. I want to be that kind of person. Amen. Lord, I love you tonight. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge of your spirit. And I'm asking you, Lord, right now in this prayer, I'm asking you to let the spirit, the power, and the presence of your anointed word, God, don't just let this come to our ears and our mind. But I pray, Lord, that this word that we've shared this evening will be a part of our heart. It'll be part of our life's blood, a part of who we are. And I ask you this evening, Lord, to let the spirit and the anointing and the hope of your word, let it be the foundation, God, that we build our lives upon. And more importantly, or equally as important, that we build this church upon your word, that unshakable, everlasting, irrevocable word. I thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want to be what God wants me to be. How about it? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.